Good morning. It's good to see you all. Every time I look back, I saw more people and more people. So uh, the ice didn't completely wipe you all out. Thank you. Just turn it back a little bit this way. Thanks. Oh, it's good to be with you all. Um, and let's pray. Lord, as I begin to preach um, and as I preach, pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to understand your word and understanding um, we conform our lives to your truth. And I ask this, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, I'm going to preach about the baptism of Jesus. I am going to get to that text. But I have, um, I have something I want you to look at. I'm going to show you a slide. And when I show you this slide, uh, I want you to not raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass anybody. Um, but I want you to think in your, in your heart, would I raise my hand? I'm going to show you a slide, and on this slide, I want you to find a cucumber and a white sheet. Okay, everybody got that? I'm going to show you this slide. I want to know if you can find the cucumber and the white sheet. Let's see if this works. Oh, I'm going the wrong way. Let's go this way. I always push it the wrong way. Maybe I'm not. Hold on. There we go. Cucumber and a white sheet. Do you see it? Do you see it? It's there. Okay. It's a pickle. And it's a purple sheet. Okay. But it used to be a cucumber. Would you all agree with me on that? You wouldn't know if the purple sheet was white, but it was. I'm showing you this because I want to talk about baptism. And you guys, I know you're going, pickle and baptism. (laughs) Right. But here's why. The word baptism is not a translated word, okay? It's a Greek word with English letters. I'll show that to you in a minute. And the word baptism was a common term in Greek well before the New Testament. Okay? Hundreds of years before the New Testament. Okay? It was not a new word to Jesus, John, Paul, or any of the New Testament writers. It was a common word in Greek. Okay? In fact... I'm showing you a pickle because the Greek poet and physician, his name was Nicander of Kolophon, a city in Turkey, lived in 200 B.C., 200 years B.C. And he described, they, they dug up a recipe by this physician that described a recipe for making pickles. And he said that the cucumbers should be baptized, baptizo, in a vinegar solution. First you dip them, and then you baptize them in the, in the vinegar solution. And, when, and after immersing it in the solution, when it was complete, it would produce a permanent change. It would never taste like a cucumber again. Okay? That's 200 years before Jesus. And they're using the word baptism. 
Baptism was used of ships that sunk. They were baptized. They were immersed in water. Baptism was used for, as a word for people who drowned. They were immersed in the water. The word baptizo or bapto was, was especially prominent in the dye trade. Cloth would be dipped or immersed into a vat of dye. The material was, in the Greek language, baptized in dye. We would translate it, it was immersed in dye, if we translated the word. When the cloth was removed from the vat of dye, if it had its distinct new appearance. It was identified in a new way. Red cloth would come out of a vat of red dye. Purple cloth will come out of a vat of purple dye. The cloth was identified by its new color. It goes down one way. It comes up a different way. It goes in as a cucumber. It comes out as a You're not going to forget about baptism now, will you? I probably just ruined the whole thing for all of you. It's a pickle. It goes down as a white cloth. It comes out as a purple cloth. In in baptism, we go down buried with Christ in death. We are raised with Christ in new life. It's not a translated word in the Bible. We just use the Greek letters. So, let me give you an example. The top word there is B-A-P-I-T-I-Z-O. Okay, that's not how you would say in Greek, but, but we just give the B, the B, the A, the A, the P, the P. The, it's just, it's, it's Greek. We just give the English. It's a Greek word, but it's with English letters, Okay. Is that making sense to you all? Yeah, it's, we call it a transliteration, not a translation. We're not translating the actual word. If we translated, so we get the word baptism from baptizo. That's what it means. But if we were to actually translate it, like we do the whole rest of the Bible, we would get the word what? Immersed. Because that's what it means. Now what's interesting is before we get to the passage I'm preaching on, we have to back up to a passage from last week. In chapter 3, verse 5, it says that all Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to be immersed, baptized. You know, I checked. Here's the interesting thing. I checked 60 different English translations. How many of you them, them do you think use the word immersed? Zero. You know why? When the first English Bible came out, really Geneva Bible or King James Bible later, um, sprinkling had become very common in the Catholic Church, which pretty much things were Catholic by that time, and, and, and in the Reformed Church. And so the translators were like, yeah, if we used immerse, we're in trouble. And the translations never changed. 
Isn't that interesting? But the people in Jerusalem, Judea, all about the Jordan, are getting baptized because they're excited about it. They want to be baptized. You know, the only people who are not getting baptized, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They, they are not going to go in the water with sinners. No way are they going to go in the water. Uh-uh, not going to happen. That water is made dirty by those sinners. Not gonna, we're not going to eat with sinners. We're not going to talk to sinners. We're going to touch sinners. And we certainly are not going to be baptized with sinners. There is great joy in baptism, however. And I, I, this is my favorite baptism video of all time. It's only like 40 seconds long, okay? And some of you might have seen it. And I thought, should I show it or not? I, but I love this video. And it communicates just the, the fun of baptism. Okay, so, um, well, I'll get it. There we go. Okay, so you got to listen to what that little boy says. Oh, we need sound. I'm going to go back. Can I get sound on that? The back station, they're working on it. If you can't, I'll tell you what he says. Okay, we'll try it one more time. Okay, ready? I'll, I'll click it. This morning, uh, we have accepted Christ as his Savior and as his Lord, and he will demonstrate his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, by willingly being baptized this morning. He's been waiting on this day a long time. <laughs> and so, Jordan, upon the profession of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Oh, do it! Oh, do it! Oh, don't just baptize me! Bam! I love the... I, I mean, I could just sit and watch that. I, you know, I probably watched that 15 times before today. Yeah, I just... I love that. The joy of baptism. And that's what's happening. People are coming out to be baptized. Something good is happening there. Now, we have to follow up because Jesus comes out to be baptized. And John and Jesus have a theological argument about it. Not, we don't have to say argument. But they have a, a theological discussion about it. So I want to look at this theological discussion that, um, that John and Jesus are having about his baptism. Now, I'm not going to put the word immerse all the time because it just was easier to import my scripture with baptize. But remember, baptize means to immerse. I baptize you. This is John speaking. I immerse you in water for repentance. But he, speaking of Jesus, who is coming after me, is mightier than I. Whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That is what John is saying. And, and John is... Um, my slides are out of order here. I, I'm missing one here. But it's all right. Um, John wants you to understand a couple of different things. First, he wants you to understand that Jesus, Jesus 
is mightier than he is. Jesus is stronger. Jesus is spiritually mature. Jesus is above him. Second, John wants you to know, wants us to know that um, he did not consider himself worthy to carry Jesus' sandals. Now, why is this important? Feet in the Middle East are dirty. That's, I, that's why I have that picture there. Dirty feet, stinky feet. Uh, you always wash feet. When you walked into a home, feet were washed right away. Always. And if they're not washed right away, there's a problem. Who washes the feet? Slaves, first of all. If there's no slave, a servant. If there's no servant, children. If there's no children, women. If there's no women, whoever is of the lowest status. So, we get to John 13. Matthew has the words of institution for communion. Mark has the words of institution for communion. Luke has the words of institution for communion. The words of institution are, this is my body broken for you. But in John, there are no words of institution for the communion scene. They're in the upper room, but you know what they're doing? They're all at the table, as Bonnie likes to say, with 24 dirty feet and 12 proud hearts. Nobody has washed the feet. If you're in Chicago, it would be equivalent to going to a dinner party and nobody taking off your coat and scarf in the middle of winter. And you'd have everybody sitting around the dinner party and everybody's got all their winter stuff on because nobody bothered to show you the hospitality to take off your coat. Nobody has washed the feet in John 13. So that is the communion scene in John. And John the Baptist is saying, I am lower than a slave. I'm not even worthy to untie and carry his sandals. I'm not even there. Now, I have to remind you that Jesus washes the disciples' feet. He puts a towel around himself, and he gets dirty and filthy from from their feet. Gets dirty from their feet with the water that he uses. But John, he, he doesn't think he's worthy of it. And then, and then the rest of our, uh, that verse says, he'll baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. And I just want to say something about this. And I can preach a lot about this, but I have to give you one story. Because this, this um, is really important. Jesus is going to baptize with Holy Spirit and fire. And Mark said last week that fire could be interpreted as a fire judgment, and I agree with that. No question. But it also can just can be, I think it's both, the, the fire of the Holy Spirit, the flames in Pentecost, the burning bush. This is a story about uh, D.L. Moody and his experience with the Holy Spirit. During a Chicago camp meeting in 1871, a woman named Auntie Cook, who was a member of Moody's church, and she was an evangelist, she was quite a little firebrand, actually, if you read a little bit more about her. She was, she was out there for Christ in every way. But she felt burdened for Moody. She believed that he needed the anointing power of the Holy Spirit. 
she and her friend, Mrs. Hawkehurst, usually sat in the front row of the Moody Church, uh, in the front row where they were worshiping, and they told Moody that they were praying for him to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Moody was unsure this was needed. Nonetheless, he asked the two ladies to meet with him in uh, Farewell Hall every Friday afternoon to discuss this matter and pray. Apparently, as the report goes, his hunger increased. Mrs. Cook Cook reports that on Friday, on the Friday before the Great Chicago Fire, quote, Mr. Moody... Moody's agony was so great that he rolled on the floor in the midst of many tears and groans, cried to God to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Following the Chicago fire, Moody went to New York to raise funds for the rebuilding of the church in the YCMA building. In New York, while he was walking down Wall Street, Moody, still a young preacher, finally received the spiritual blessing that they had prayed for Moody. Moody felt such release of the Holy Spirit's filling that he cried, quote, Hold, Lord, it is enough, end quote. And then again, quote, I went to preach again, said Moody. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths, and yet hundreds were being converted. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you should give me all the world. John baptizes for repentance, Jesus, with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And does it make a difference? It does. One of the things that I did for 16 years at, at the church I came from is uh, whenever we started singing, I would pray for the Holy Spirit to come down and fall upon us. Holy Spirit's always with us, I know. But when you read the New Testament, there are times when the Holy Spirit comes in fullness and power. And I usually thought, you know, they're probably thinking I'm sleeping up there because I'm, I'm, I'm going like this. Everybody else is singing and I'm praying. And I just, Holy Spirit, come and fill us as we are singing just fill us with your presence and fill me. Help me to be ready to preach. And I began doing that here. So here's what I want to say to you all this morning. When you come into this sanctuary on Sunday mornings, would you just pray for the preachers and pray for the congregation and just, just pray for a while and pray that the Holy Spirit will come and fill our congregation. Speak to us. Holy Spirit, power, fire. Moody says hundreds were converted I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you should give me all the world. Our preachers, I need the presence of the Holy Spirit. When I preach, I am constantly praying, help me to hear you as I preach. This is such an important thing that you can do while we preachers are up here preaching, but it's also important for us as a congregation. Okay, so now we're going to get to that theological discussion that Jesus and John had. But you have to remember John's mindset. He's not worthy. He's, not, can, he's lower than lower. Jesus is mightier than he is in every way. And then our passage begins this way. Oh, 
That was the one I should have showed you with Moody. I wonder if I got the wrong copy here. Um, I did, which is going to be a, a problem, Bonnie. But it's all right. Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan, to John, to be baptized. And, and I really researched this. I really think it should be under. It says by in your Bibles, but it's the preposition. It should be, it took me a long time to be sure. I try not to put anything on the screen that I have not, am not positive about. It should be under him. And, and the reason is because John doesn't consider himself worthy, and, he is, and Jesus is so much mightier, and John, he, he just, he's like, you're coming to be baptized under him. John would have prevented, the better way of translating that would be, he was hindering him. He, didn't, he was hindering him because they're having this theological discussion, saying, I need to be baptized under you, and yet do you come to me? I am not worthy. You should be baptizing me. See, what John is doing here is they're arguing. John is trying to make an argument about status and rank because you remember who washes feet? Status. The one who is the lowest status. And who washed the feet in John 13? Who? Jesus. Seriously? Jesus is the lowest. The disciples are sitting around that table and Jesus is the one of lowest status? So you understand John's thinking here. He's thinking, there's no way you should be under me. You, should, you are of so much higher status. I have to be baptized by you. But Jesus responds. Let it be so for now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. I will be baptized under you, John. Now, I put some pictures of the Jordan River there so you get a sense of what that Jordan River looks like. How many of you have ever been to the Pacific Northwest? Raise your hand. Okay, so I spent a lot of time up there. In the Pacific Northwest, you can look down in a river. I, I used to, my cousins have, a, have a, uh, a house right on a river. And my cousin said, Stuart, come with me. We, we're going to swim upstream. And we did. He said, it's the coolest thing. And we, we, we came to a point where there was a big, um, where the river was really deep, probably 15, 20 feet. And we could see the salmon swimming, swimming down there. And it was the coolest thing in the world. You could see rocks. You could see every detail, 20 feet down. How far do you think you can see down that river? Not very far, right? So there's a great story in 2 Kings chapter 5 with the commander of the Syrian army. His name is Naaman. Naaman has leprosy. And Naaman is like, uh, finds out from his servant girl that there's a prophet in Israel that can heal leprosy. And he thinks, okay, I'll go. So he brings a cart full of gold and silver to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel is just... Stunned, he's like, I cannot heal leprosy. And he rips his garments, tears his garments, and thinks, this is going to be horrible because there's nothing I can do for this commander of the army of Syria. 
Elijah hears that the king of Israel has rent his garments. That's going to be bad news. And, 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 and goes and finds Naaman. And he says, I will heal you of the leprosy. God will heal you of the leprosy. What you have to do is go and dip in the Jordan River seven times. Look at that river. You think the general of the army wants to do that? It's a status issue. And Naaman says, I can name two rivers right off the bat that are cleaner, ten times cleaner. It's not polluted. It's just dirty. It looks dirty. He said, I can tell you two other rivers that are clean. Why can't I do that? And he is offended. And he's ready to leave. And, and Naaman's servants come and say, are you kidding me? You want to get rid of your leprosy? Get in the water. Get in the water. And so he goes in the water. And when he comes, he's baptized. He goes down with leprosy. And he comes up with skin like a baby's. Seven times. Isn't that amazing? Go down one way, come back another way. And there it is. Jesus will be baptized by John. He says, it's the right thing to do. So how is it the right thing for Jesus to be baptized? John's is a baptism of repentance. What is Jesus' mindset? It's not about status. It's not about who's higher or who's lower. That much is clear now. Baptism, Jesus' baptism, is a picture of Philippians chapter 2. So let's go to Philippians chapter 2, just to remind us. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So this is Jesus' mindset when he's coming to be baptized, because it's not about status, not about who's under who. Who, though he, Jesus, was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, it's not about status, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be held onto, a thing to be grasped. It was not about status. It was about humility. And he comes in the form of the servant. See that servant theme again. The sandals and the feet. Servant status theme that John was so concerned about. Well, Jesus is already the lowest. That's what he's saying. I'm, I'm coming as a servant. Servants untie sandals. Servants wash dirty feet. For Jesus, for Jesus, baptism is not about rank and it's not about status. It's about being a servant. Humility, sin, and forgiveness. If he is to forgive sinners, if Jesus is going to forgive sinners, he must be in sinners' water. Right? If I'm going to forgive these sinners, I have to be in the water as sinners. 
That's the way it works. That's Jesus. A humble servant would do the right thing and do the righteous thing, and that is the good and righteous thing for him to do, to be in sinner's water. The Wall Street Journal, um, a, a guy wrote in the Wall Street Journal an interesting sort of book review. His name was uh, Jeffrey Eugene, Eugene Idides. Uh, he reports on the novel called The Marriage Plot. In it, the, the character Michael moves to India as a young man to volunteer. After a couple weeks, He's faced with a man who has massively defecated in his own bed. In the midst of the chaos, Mitchell, who's the, I call him Michael, but Mitchell, um, he, he realizes he cannot stand it. He just cannot stand it. And despite knowing he will forever regret this, he turns away from the wretch he should be taken care of, runs out of the building, scoops up his belongings, and escapes to the train. Mitchell discovered something true and awful about himself. One, there were things that he could not stand. There were things he could not stand. Two, there were depths which he could not plunge. He discovered that he had untested limits. But not for Jesus. To enter our human condition, Jesus came down from heaven, then further down, he placed, he pierced into the saddest and lowest of human conditions, grief, degradation, betrayal, and torture. Then he died in the worst possible way, his unimaginable physical pain accompanied by the mental anguish of being forsaken by God. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There is no darkness into which a human being can descend that Jesus has not already descended. And so he goes into the sinner's water. What's really interesting about that Wall Street article, uh, Wall Street Journal article is that the, uh, the author of that article wrote a, his own personal, a little personal testimony uh, after that. It's about his wife. His wife struggled with brain cancer. And listen to what he says. She lost the ability to plan projects. She slept 10 hours or more a day. When awake, she retreated into a rich, a rich world of books and puzzles. Her mental acuity never disappeared, but she found it increasingly difficult to share the thoughts with her world. Her physical condition continued to deteriorate, and she died in 2012 at age 57. After a year, a year later, I found myself preaching a sermon on a sentence that Jesus spoke from the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The Son of God, with a simple question, plunged the depth of my loss. In the years that I was uh, the principal caregiver for my wife, I did things I never imagined I'd have to do. Caring for her body, 
thinking for her, arranging her days. My shortcomings often humbled me. But what if it had gotten even harder before she died? I do not know for sure if I could have gone on. For all of us, there are always untested limits, but not for Jesus. Jesus came into our world with a fitting and righteous thing to do was to be baptized in the water of repentant sinners. To be baptized in the water that a scribe and a Pharisee would never dream of getting into because they polluted it with their sin. No Sadducee or Pharisee going to get into that sinner's water, but Jesus will. You know, it reminds me of my brother and I. So I have a younger brother, two years younger. Blonde hair, blue eyes, six foot two, fair skinned. Doesn't look a thing like me. Talks like me, though. When we were kids, my mom would say this dread, these dreaded words. Boys, time to take a bath. You always wanted to be the first one in. Because my mom did not change the bath water. And that bath water, after one of us got in it, could be really not good looking. How many of you would want to go into that bath water? Not me, but I had to. In my mind, it was polluted water. My brother had been into it. Now you know what people are thinking. You know what the Pharisees are thinking. Those sinners have polluted that water. There's no way we're getting into it. Look at the Jordan. Look at this river. I forget, I got lifted up there. I mean, they're going into it because they want to be baptized. But it doesn't really look like a river you want to swim in. And definitely, if you do, you definitely want to keep your mouth closed, right? When Jesus is baptized in the same water, we come to realize that Jesus came to be with sinners. Jesus came to eat with sinners. Jesus came to be baptized with sinners. Jesus came to be crucified between sinners. Because Jesus came to be in our dirty water, he shares all things with us so that we can be buried with him in a death like his and raised with him in a resurrection like his, which reminds us of Colossians. It's also in Romans. You are co-buried. That's the, the Greek there has a preposition attached to the word buried. And, and that word, I, we put co-buried there because um, it's like saying you're super glued with him. You are, you are absolutely united to him. You cannot be separated. He is holding on to you in the most amazing, strong ways. You are co-buried with him in baptism, in which you were also co-raised with him through faith in the working of God, the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Not only is, is baptism a picture of Christ's death and resurrection, it's also a picture of how we die and are raised with him. Getting into water is also a picture of 
servanthood and humility. So it's a picture of death and resurrection. Go in one way, come out another way. And it's also that picture of humility, isn't it? Because he's a servant. He's going to do the righteous thing. It's a willingness to untie sandals from stinky feet and carry them. It's a willingness on Jesus' part to clean and wash dirty feet. It's the willingness to clean spoiled sheets. This is my definition of humility. It's the willingness to step down. It's the willingness to step down in order to lift up because you don't pull people up. Have you ever tried to pull a person up onto a chair? Really hard. Have you ever tried to pull someone down from a chair? Really easy. It's really hard to pull people up unless you're down there with them. You can lift them up. But you have to step down in order to lift up. It's caregivers of parents or spouses who are handicapped or sick or dying. They step down into that world of the sick and dying and the handicapped. And they lift them up in amazing ways. I know. I experience it every day. It's people willing to step out of their jobs in order to lift up kids. Remember, we're supporting Kids Hope with Don. Mark mentioned that last week. We had the video. But in order to lift those kids up, we have to step down. We have to step out of our jobs, just like Jesus stepped into our world and he stepped into the waters. And you know what? They may not be clean waters. I don't know. Probably be the time of your life. It's people. It's people who do have no need to step into another person's needy world. No need to step into their dirty water to help them. But do so because Jesus stepped into the same water with which we are baptized. You know why we can help people? Who you think it's just going to be a disaster? Because Jesus stepped into our water. Which we dirtied. And if we're going to go down with people to raise them up, we just have to realize that. And pray for the Holy Spirit's fire. The text goes on. We're getting close to the end here. Then he consented. Immediately, he went up from the water. So then immediately he, Jesus, went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. I want you to realize here, you don't, you don't realize until you really think about it, the text slows down right here. What has the text been talking about? The text has been talking about all of Judea, all of Jerusalem, all the people from the countryside. Everybody's coming. Now it slows down to do one thing. It slows down to look at only one baptism. Okay? That's how the text slows down. It was, it was everybody, but now we're just going to look at one. So, And what Matthew does is Matthew emphasizes Jesus coming out of the water. He doesn't talk about Jesus going down, right? In order for Jesus to come up out of the water, he had to go down the water. But what Matthew emphasizes is 
Jesus coming out. What's really interesting, if you go back to verse 6, this is the verse. And they were baptized by John in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. When talking about John's baptism, people go down. Now it's implied they come up. John didn't drown them. But look at the text. John puts them down. Look at the text. Jesus doesn't talk about going down. He talks about coming up. You know he went down. You know they came up. Jesus coming up from the water is emphasized because it's a picture of resurrection, which is why you get Romans and Colossians comparing baptism with resurrection because that's the picture we're getting here. He comes up out of the water, and then look at what happens. The heavens are opened. The imagery for that word in, in the Greek is that of a door or gate latch that is unlocked and opened. In fact, one, one uh, dictionary actually says um, unlocked. The gates were, the heavens were, you could translate unlocked. The heavens were unlocked. And the Spirit comes down and rests on Jesus. Now it's so interesting. Is we're gonna, there, there's a bracketing here, okay? In the Gospel of Matthew. We have the heavens opened. Heavens unlocked here. When we go to, to resurrection, in chapter 27, this is what we read. The tombs also were, same exact word, same exact word. The tombs were also unlocked. The tombs were also opened like a gate or like a, like a door. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and they appeared to many. In Jesus' baptism, the gates of heaven were opened. Jesus rising from baptism. When he rose from baptism, Heaven opens. When he rises from the dead, what opens? The, the, the earth opens up. Tombs open up. People are raised. And isn't that an interesting bracketing that Matthew does? It's beautiful. And then finally, our last, our last um, piece of text. Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now next week I'm preaching on the temptations of Christ. And, and uh, the temptation I'm going to deal with, if you are the Son of God. Well, right here we're hearing, this is my beloved Son. Behold, you're my beloved Son. But what's really interesting about this in this text is that the people come to the Jordan River confessing sin, Right? John's calling them to the act of repentance. All the movement is toward God. Repent, confess towards God. But here, Jesus is not called to act. Jesus is here to receive the Spirit. And the confession is by God. God makes a confession. This is the confession. This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. Jesus doesn't need to confess his sins. 
He's sinless. Rather, God confesses Jesus is his beloved son with whom he's well pleased. The heavens are opened and the beloved son uh, and, and in the beloved son, resurrection, open tombs will be opened. And the first fruits and the people coming out, out of the tombs will be the first fruits of this rich harvest. So what do I learn? Here's my takeaways. One, carry sandals. You know what I mean by that? Whose sandals are you going to carry today? It's not about status. It's not about this is my job, this is your job. It's not about I don't, shouldn't have to do that. Somebody's going to need their sandals to be carried because maybe they can't. Maybe they don't know how. Maybe they've been sick too long. Maybe they're incapacitated. Maybe they just need to know they're loved. So my question for you is, whose sandals will you carry? Will it be your wife's? Will it be your husband's? Your child? Whose sandals are you going to carry? Second takeaway. Fire. Pray for the fire of the Holy Spirit each week before the worship service. I already mentioned that to you, but I'm serious about it. When you come to worship, spend your first couple minutes in worship before you start talking to people, or maybe after you say hello, but before worship starts, figure out a time when you can just pray for the Holy Spirit's presence in our worship. And then finally, my last takeaway. Remember, remember Jesus stands in the water with you. I don't know where you're standing today. Some of you may be standing in deep water. Some of you may be underwater. Some of you may be in dirty water. What I want you to know is that Jesus is there to raise you up. You are not going to drown. So I don't know what you're facing. But because Jesus is in the water, you know, I come from a beach culture. I grew up in Laguna Beach. The only way to save a drowning person in the ocean is to what? Get in the water. It's the only way. You will not drown. So I don't know what you're going through today. But I want you to remember, Jesus is right here in my water. As dirty as it may be. As filthy as I've made it. Because of my sin. He's right here. Let us pray. Lord God, give you thanks for this passage of Scripture that it was the right and righteous thing to do to step down into our water, to be baptized. Help us to remember the humility that that took that is a picture of Philippians chapter 2. And because of that, help us to remember to carry sandals and help us to remember that you're right there with us in our water. And then, Lord, we always pray for the fire of your Holy Spirit to burn brightly in our lives.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.